One morning I walked into a church, but it wasn't on a Sunday. I looked around and I saw the empty seats, the sun glistening through the dust in the air. At first I was distraught at the sight of the empty chairs, but then I was filled with joy. I realized that the people who were once in those chairs were now outside of the building, working at their jobs, serving in their communities, laughing with their co-workers and growing with their families. They had the opportunity to be the church, not just sit in it. When will we be like them? When will we see the opportunity given to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing hope into the world? Stained glass can't pray for the sick. These walls can't preach the gospel, but you can. <laughs> the building you're sitting in is just a building. But if you trust in Jesus, then you are the church. Did you catch that? You are the church. I love the church. I love this church. I have uh, given my life to this calling that God has called me to for some 27 years already, and uh, it just is a great, great adventure. Um, you know, I realize that sometimes whoever gets up here and speaks, and we do have a variety of uh, speakers at TCC, we don't always introduce ourselves. And so if you're fairly new, you're probably wondering, uh, who are some of these guys? But I'm, I'm Pastor Norb, and um, I have a family, my wife Tina. Um, we've been, it'll be 25 years that we're going to celebrate in September. So, uh, so that's uh, a great thing. We have two children, Lucas and Anna. Lucas is uh, 20, soon to be 21, and Anna's 18, soon to be, to be 19. And so our kids have grown up in the church. They have been what uh, might affectionately be known as preacher's kids. And if you know any preacher's kids, they, they, they don't always have a great experience. But I can say uh, this for a fact, that I think our kids have been remained largely unscathed by the church. Um, they, uh, they still love the church. They're a part of the church. They serve uh, here at TCC in various ways. And so uh, it's great to be part of that. Uh, the former church that we were in, we had uh, kind of more of that traditional, well, we did have two services. So they'd come to one service and then go to Sunday school during the other or flop back and forth. And so our kids always sat in the service with us. Any of you remember those days? And um, you had to, like, keep your kids quiet, and you found ways of distracting them or, or whatever. And um, we, just this week, Tina found a note, and I thought it was so appropriate for today. We think Lucas was maybe six or seven years old, and he's, he's um, in church. And he writes, if you see this, um, at the bottom, you've got to start. It says, when is he going to be done? <clears throat> now, he didn't realize that questions needed a question mark at the end of that, but... Uh, at least he got all the words right. Then you can see Tina in the upper right there writes five to seven minutes. So uh, evidently it had been long enough for Lucas. So he's saying, when is it going to be done? Then he adds, I can't wait that long. No, wait there. Top left. I can't wait that long. Do you see it? 
It says loan, but I think he just got the G backwards because, like I said, he's six or something. And then flip it over, and Tina goes, too bad. (laughs) Such a sensitive mom. And then Lucas, not to be outdone, goes, I mean it. I can't wait that long. Some of you are probably grateful that your kids aren't sitting here this morning because they're going to be writing that note soon enough going, when is he going to be done? And probably some of you are going to be asking that question, when is he going to be done? But it's a good question. Questions are good. Questions invite exploration and discovery, right? We, we learn by asking good questions. Jesus, as you know, maybe from reading the Gospels, he, he asks lots of good questions. Hundreds of questions, in fact. And most times, as he's having a conversation, either starting a conversation or somebody asks him a question, he turns around and in turn asks them a question. And he asks questions like, who do you say I am? And do you believe? He says, do you want to get well? Which put in the context of John 5 is a very interesting question because he asked that question of a man who for 38 years was unable to walk. You think he would have been tired of that situation. And to him, Jesus says, do you want to get well? He asked questions like, why are you so afraid? Why did you doubt? And a very straightforward and penetrating question. He asks of Peter, do you love me? And sometimes when we read those questions, the Holy Spirit whispers in our minds, listen, do you love me? God, from the very beginning, was asking questions. His first question was to Adam in Genesis 3.9. Where are you? And why was that significant? Because Adam and Eve, they had just sinned. They had just disobeyed what God had asked them not to do. And they ate of the, uh, of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat. And they hid. And God shows up, knowing full well what happens. It's not a surprise to him. He's not, he's not asking to get the answer. He's asking so that Adam might search his heart. And he says, where are you? And so all the other questions God asks are similar to this. He asks questions to probe the heart as if to say, hey, what's going on in your heart? Who are you listening to? What are you believing about me? And what are you believing about me that is not true? And in Genesis chapter 4, there's a conversation between the Lord and Cain. Cain was Adam and Eve's son. She'd also given birth to Abel. And verse 5 says that Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And again, God knew. He knew that he was angry and he knew why he was angry. He knew why he was downcast. But he doesn't tell him that. He just asks him the question. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now, there's no record of Cain's response to the Lord. It's almost as if Cain just ignored God. And the next thing you know, Cain attacks his brother Abel and kills him. He was so angry with him. And then the Lord asks another question. Cain, where is your brother Abel? And again, God knew. 
But this time, Cain says, I don't know. And then he adds a question of his own, I think with kind of a sarcastic, kind of a rebuttal, refuting kind of tone. He says, well, am I my brother's keeper? You know what the answer to that is, don't you? Yes. Yes, Cain. Actually, you are. You are your brother's, uh, your brother's keeper. You, you see, we do actually have a responsibility to care for one another. Now, in a general sense, if we accept our responsibility for the welfare of others, we won't, as Cain did, murder another human being because we are concerned about their well-being. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that all of us have this responsibility to be our brother's and our sister's keeper. Think about the Good Samaritan. Think, love your enemy as yourself. Think, love, sorry, love your neighbor as yourself, and think, love your enemies. <coughs> Excuse me. And then think of all the one another's of Scripture to pray for one another, care for one another, carry one another's burdens. So yes, friends, we are our brother's and sister's keeper. James would certainly support this. Listen to the last two verses of chapter 5 and the last two verses of the letter that we've been studying. He says this, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This morning, we're going to finish this series of messages that we started way back in September. And we've been calling this series Keeping It Real because we want to ask the question, what does real faith look like? And James, he wrote this letter to Jewish Christians who were scattered due to the persecution they experienced because of their faith. He wants to encourage them to continue to keep their faith real, even in the midst of trials and temptations and the challenges that they were facing as persecuted Christians. And so James kept it real. If you've been journeying with us, you know that there were uh, particular Sundays where James hit hard. And now, with just one long sentence in the Greek, he brings this letter really to an abrupt end. It's an unusual end in that if you, if you consider how the Apostle Paul often ends his letters, there's always some kind of personal greetings. Sometimes he'll, he'll make a few comments towards specific individuals, and then usually a benediction, but not James. James ends with another exhortation to his readers, and in this case, it specifically he says, to seek out those who in their teaching and in their practice have wandered from the truth. So it is a short, concise, strong conclusion, but it is a right and fitting conclusion because he has had some hard things to say, and so why stop now? You see, throughout the letter, he has been describing what this real faith looks like. It's a faith that works. It's a faith that functions. The Christian faith is not just something that we believe in our heads or something that simply stirs our hearts. That is why our mission at TCC is to know Jesus, because there is a head knowledge, and, and, and then to walk with Jesus and to share Jesus. You see, because it is what we know and what we believe about Jesus that ultimately shapes our everyday experiences with Jesus as we walk with him. And, and then it, ultimately it should result in our sharing Jesus with others. Because we're experiencing what it means to walk in this relationship, and we want others to know about him. 
And so we know and we walk and we share. And so now James, as he concludes this letter, he cuts to the chase. And I'm saying that it's just time to get real. You see, the entire letter was written to turn and prevent people from error. He urges Christians to seek and to save the wandering because the end result of the wandering is destruction. He says, you will save that person from death. And so the letter of James has been a call to action. And it's been full of imperatives. And so why should his conclusion be any different? His letter, as I've said, has been about real faith, a faith that works So even if you go back to the very beginning and just think about what you've studied so far in James, that yes, even when facing trials, we we maintain our faith and realize that God has a purpose in that. When dealing with temptation, a faith that requires not just listening to the word, but actually doing what it says. A faith that says absolutely no to prejudice. A faith that is practical and caring for widows and orphans. It means that we watch what we say, change the way we think, stop fighting and quarreling, submit ourselves to God's will and His way of doing things. We stop slandering one another. We run our agendas before God. We use our wealth wisely. We have patience in suffering. We're prayerful in all situations. And last but not least... We accept the responsibility that we have to watch out for one another. In other words, to be the church. See, the church is not something you go to or attend. And I know that's probably our common knowledge. Some of you said, hurry up, we got to get to church. You know, like whatever it is, we, we refer often to our gathering here on a Sunday morning as church. And that's not, again, you might be thinking I'm splitting hairs and that's not all entirely wrong, but but church is not so much when and where. It's not 10 a.m. at 1751 Town Center Boulevard. The church is who and what. We are the church. We've been called out into relationship with God and with one another. God is our Father. We are His children. That makes us family. And so we're brothers and sisters. I don't know if you've had the privilege of going to to other uh, parts of the world, but when you meet Christians in many other parts of the world, everybody refers to each other as Brother Norb or Sister Tina or Brother Sid, right? Because they get it. It's just this sense that we're... I'm not suggesting that because I I, I think in our culture it's kind of weird. I'm just saying that it, it, it just reminds us of this truth each and every time we meet a brother or sister in Christ. That we're family and we care for each other. And we care for each other and we walk with Jesus in the company of one another. And if we're all walking together and when one of us wanders away, we ought to practically trip over each other as we race to bring them back. That's what James is talking about here. He said, I've given you all of these instructions. So now live it out. And if you're walking together and you see somebody off in another direction, go and bring them back. So just a couple of definitions first. This word wander... When James says, 
someone who is wandering. It translates from the Greek word planeo, which, from which we get our word planet. Now, we know that, that planets orbit, you know, they have a, a perfect orbit, but, but if you think about it, they're just kind of wandering out in, in space. But, but in this context, it literally means to deceive or to lead astray. To deceive or to lead astray. So the wanderer is someone who no longer believes what is true, and they've started to believe what is false. Maybe they once even expressed faith in Jesus, but now they're missing in action. They're MIA. And so to wander is to actually stray spiritually from God. Okay? It's the image that we actually sung about this morning in Come Thou Fount, this image of Jesus the shepherd. And he searches us out, and he brings us into the fold. He brings us into his flock, the church. And when one wanders, he goes after them. And so to wander is to stray spiritually from God. Now, the wanderer may totally understand that the path that they have chosen is, in fact, the wrong path. In one sense, it might even be an intentional decision. They've just decided, you know what? I, I, just, I, I just can't walk that way anymore. I, I'm just not into it that, that much anymore. Or they'll say things like, well, I used to believe that, but now I no longer believe that. And that's not to say that there aren't things that we have to work through and wrestle through and come to, come to a un- deeper understanding of. But we need to be careful that in our pursuit of truth, we don't start to actually wander as well. The wanderer was one who once knew that narrow path, but they've moved intentionally to the wide path that he says here in James leads to destruction. And they know it. They're totally aware that somehow now that this is a different path from the truth that they once knew. It is, in fact, a deliberate waywardness. They're just being intentional about it. And I bet you some of you know people like that. People that you used to be in a small group with that no longer walk with Jesus. So it can be intentional, but it also might be accidental or it's almost unconscious. Because here's the real danger, I think. It's, it's a gradual thing, right? The wanderer is a person who drifts. Through, through no effort of their own, they've, they've lost their way. And this drift can just sneak up on us and complacency sets in. Because we, 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 we stop doing the things that we once did that were so vital in our relationship with Jesus. And so we start to drift and before we know it, we're just out there wandering. We've been led astray. We've strayed from the one that we love. The second definition I want to give here is what James might be meaning by truth. Now, James is writing about the person, he says, who wanders from the truth, right? And we know about the truth that is found in the Bible. And so what James writes about truth, he's writing about the convictions that we have, about doctrine, about the things that we believe. (coughs) Excuse me. 
And so a person who, in fact, wanders from the truth is someone who has shifted theologically. They wander from the truth in their minds. They have changed the way that they think about certain doctrines. But the Bible also defines truth as a, as a way to go, right? A path to be followed, or specifically the way of truth. Right? We, we, we talk about it. I talked about our mission statement, about walking with Jesus. The Christian life is a journey that we, that we walk. It's a way of truth. And so truth is not simply something to believe. It's also something to be practiced. And somehow the, the, the wanderer has moved away from the practice of truth. And thirdly, Jesus is the truth. And so in reality... The wanderer, then, is someone who distances themselves from Jesus. They wander away from Jesus. Their love for Jesus and their desire to follow him is not what it once was. And so they no longer walk in intimacy with Jesus. They have wandered from the truth. And so whether it is doctrine or practice or Jesus himself, someone has wandered from this truth. And that's what the hymn writer captured with that thought in the words that that we sang this morning. We're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. I'll say a little bit more about that because this is really what we can learn from these verses then, in fact, is that that's true of any one of us. Anyone can wander. James is not specific about a person here at all. He just says, someone among you wanders away. The the New International Version says, if one of you should wander from the truth. Some other translations just use the word anyone. And so any one of us, myself included, have the capacity to wander away. And so we should never become so proud or arrogant to think that it could never happen to us. These verses sound an alarm for those who think they would never be capable of wandering. My first full-time ministry position that I, that I served at was at a church in Calgary. Um, I was much younger then, and uh, I enjoyed mountain biking. And because we're in Calgary, the proximity to the mountains just gave us so many opportunities. And so sometimes we'd throw our bikes on, on our roof racks in an evening and go out and go for a couple hours. Other times we would say, hey, let's do a day trip. Let's go somewhere. And so one day, a friend of mine, we decided to do um, a ride that was affectionate, well, it was rightfully called the Forget-Me-Not, Forget-Me-Not Mountain Rounder. And it is exactly what it sounds like. You won't forget this, and you go around a mountain, and up a mountain, and back and around. And uh, so if you're familiar with kind of that part of southwest Alberta, um, Calgary and Bragg Creek, and just kind of keep going in that direction, this ride was an area west of Bragg Creek, and we had to to um, carry our bikes over and through the Elbow River to get to the other side and do that and come around and then do that again on the way back. Um, but we were fully prepared. We had plenty of water. We were experienced. We had maps. We had a, we had a, a specific write-up with mile markers and kilometer markers that we could track, and so we knew where we needed to turn. And so we decided that we're going to head out on this difficult and advanced loop of over 40 kilometers. But somewhere along the way, we missed a turn. And it took us a while to actually figure that out. 
until we kind of found ourselves out in this open meadow with no real trail to follow. And we're like, you know, this should probably be a little bit more worn than this. But we, we just kind of circled and wandered around this meadow. It was beautiful. The backwoods, hardly anybody's probably ever been there. And, and we're looking for a path to find. And we don't find it. This was going to be a six to eight hour ride. Soon it was eight hours and we weren't done. And we started to get incredibly worried about darkness setting in. And that we, if we were going to get, get, actually get out of there. And so eventually, of course, we we backtracked, we found ourselves to the place where we got, and we found our way out. But we were so experienced. We thought we would never get lost. We thought it would never happen to us. But it just takes one wrong turn, and you never know where you end up. And that's true spiritually as well. We make a conscious decision. We take a wrong turn. And it's so easy for us to wander from the truth. And so James hits us right between the eyes with these verses, right? Because we ask the question then of ourselves, if anyone can wander, what if I'm that anyone? What if I'm that anyone? Then what am I going to do? So secondly, if anyone can wander, he says this, someone must go. Someone must go. So James writes in Verse 19, someone should, someone should bring that person back. And so the person, of course, that he's referring to is the one who has wandered from the truth. And if a person wanders away from the truth, and it could be any one of us, we've just established that, the rest of the Christian community can't just sit there and do nothing. Someone must go and try to bring them back. In other words, the wanderer is not just left to their own devices. Because the burden of bringing them back is now laid on the entire community. And, he, and James lays this responsibility for the wanderer on the Christian community. Since in this sense, we are our brother's keepers. We show mutual care and concern when we track down the wanderers. We simply watch out for one another. And if anyone wanders, we launch Operation Rescue. We go after them. Because someone must go. Someone must try to bring them back. This is what we do in the church. Because we are living in community. We experience walking with Jesus together. And then when we see that someone has wandered, we go after them. Notice that James says, someone. Someone should bring that person back. And he doesn't say elders or pastors. The problem is that the church can sometimes be so focused on professionals. But someone is actually anyone. Any one of us. Right? But, but so often, and, and I have to be careful when I use illustrations that just sort of come to my mind, but I, I, sometimes I get asked questions like, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so. Oh, good question. I haven't seen them either. And the implication is, well, why don't you call them? Why don't you email them? Why don't you follow up? And all I'm saying is that, you know what? If you've noticed that, then you have the responsibility. You tap somebody on the shoulder. You make the phone call. You sit down for coffee and say, hey, I've noticed that you haven't been around on Sunday mornings. And so someone is actually 
any one of us. Someone can be a parent who sees a child making decisions. Maybe they're a young adult child. They're starting to make decisions that could lead to wandering. It's just those, those early steps. And sometimes we think, ah, uh, you know, it's not a big deal, but, but now their trajectory is off that path. And the longer they go, the harder it is sometimes to bring somebody back. Someone can be a husband or a wife who sees that their spouse has been neglecting some basic spiritual practices. That's how the drift starts. We just stop spending time in the Word. We stop praying. Maybe we stop going to church. The the things that help us and encourage us in our walk with Jesus. That someone can be a friend or another member of a small group who can say to the wanderer, Hey, hey, you know, when we started that Tuesday morning prayer meeting at at 6 o'clock, I know it was crazy, but you were there. You were there for months. But I haven't seen you for a few weeks or a few months. That's our responsibility. Hey, I, I noticed that, that you just don't seem to be talking about the things that God has been teaching you. you there just doesn't seem to be the same kind of um, spiritual life in you that you once had. Man, I remember those late-night conversations that we used to have where we talked about the Word and we talked about what God was teaching us. How come that isn't happening anymore? Those are the kind of questions we ask of each other. Hey, I heard the way that you spoke to your spouse. You know what? It kind of made me uncomfortable. I think she was kind of embarrassed. I think it was actually kind of disrespectful. When we start to catch those little cracks in relationships early on, don't you think that we can maybe prevent some of the disasters that happen? Because how many disasters, relationally, morally, could have been prevented if someone just said something? I mean, all too often, someone in the body knows. Someone sees something. Someone hears something. But they just don't do or say anything about it. And we take this approach like, like Cain and just say, Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, yeah, you are. So I don't want to interfere. No, my dear brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. And the goal is not judgment. Because that's immediately what we think. Oh, who am I to judge? I'm not going to interfere. I'm staying out of it. That's not the purpose. The purpose is restoration. It's simply brothers and sisters in a family watching out for one another and warning each other when they start to see the drift, when they start to see those little compromises. And this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote in Galatians 6.1. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Not a whip. Not a tongue lashing. But just restore them gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Because any one of us can wander. Any one of us can wander. In the past several years, we have seen some prominent Christian pastors and leaders fall. It's been in the news. If you follow social media, you've probably read about it. And I'm not going to name names, but I mean, these are, these are pastors 
whose books I read, whose sermons I have listened to. And now when I read about their failures, I, I, I just want to weep. Because yes, their sin is their own sin. They did it on their own. But I also can't help but wonder how others around them were, in a sense, complicit. They saw it. Some even experienced it. They were on the receiving end of it. And for one reason or another, they just decided that they wouldn't say anything. And friends, that is a significant failure on a one another level. We've missed the point of what James is saying here. So friends, I'm telling you this this morning. I'm giving you permission. You have permission from me that whenever you see something in my life that makes you uncomfortable, something that just seems off, you come and tell me. And maybe we can give each other permission to just speak the truth in love. Because just think of some of the disasters that might be prevented if someone goes to anyone. And don't think that someone else will say something. Because maybe you've heard the story of everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Have you ever heard of this? This is great. Um, and, and, and so let me read this. A team had four members called everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job, Operation Rescue, to be done. But everyone was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. But everybody thought anybody could do it. Nobody realized that's everybody's job. Everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Any one of us can wander. Any one of us must go. You see, you are that someone. But remember that the goal is restoration. The goal is to bring back the wanderer, not chase them further away. It's about repentance and forgiveness. It's about turning the wanderer back to Jesus. And isn't this what God does with each of us? He comes after us, seeks us out, and he turns us to repentance. He comes with tenderness and a gentleness, with a desire to restore us. It's the picture of Luke 15. As God welcomes home the repentant sinner, he wraps him in a a huge blanket of forgiveness. Friends, that's what all of us have experienced. And that is why someone who has had that experience must go. One last point. Everyone should walk in obedience. My dear brothers and sisters, Listen to these words again. If someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, the implication of these verses is, in fact, to avoid disobedience in the first place. You see, if anyone can wander, then we all have to remain vigilant. Remember that we have an enemy, and, 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 and the enemy is the devil who, has the, who in the Bible it says that, that he is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay, That's the enemy. That's what he does. And so if I'm going to be in a position to go to others who have wandered, 
it's super important that I haven't wandered myself. I mean, if I'm going to follow up with someone who I haven't maybe seen at church for a while, then I better make sure that I'm at church myself, because otherwise, you know, I wouldn't even know that they haven't been there, because I haven't been there. If I'm going to ask some tough questions of others, then I better be able to answer those questions myself. You see, this is what Jesus was getting at. Like, we can't go to others when there's a splinter in their eye and there still is a log in our own. And so in order to avoid wandering ourselves and to make sure that we're in a position to go to others who are wandering, we need to make sure that we're walking in obedience in the first place. This means that we're constantly checking for leaks in our souls. We take our own inventory to make sure that we aren't wandering from the truth. We don't even have to wait for someone to come to us. And so we simply get alone with God and we ask Him to search our hearts. We admit that we're not where we once were. We tell Him even that we're not where we want to be. We have felt our hearts start to to cool. And so we ask God, like David did, restore to us the joy of our salvation. And so we take our own moral inventory and make sure that nobody has a reason to come in the first place to us. And so how do we walk this out? Let me just give you a couple, two practical things that you can do right now. One is something that we call triads at TCC. We don't, we don't advertise this much or we don't say what, because this isn't anything that we program. But if you, have your, if you have your sermon notes, if you've been taking some notes, if you just flip that over, there's a description there. And a triad is simply, I mean, it's a pretty boring name, I know, but it's like just three people, three men, three women that you get together with and say, hey, you know what? I need others in my life to make sure that we're walking with Jesus, that we're keeping him central in our lives. And so we find a way. It's easier to meet with three people. Try scheduling 12 people sometimes, right? You, you just can't get people together sometimes. So, But three people you can And you meet for breakfast or for coffee or meet in somebody's home. It doesn't matter. But you say, hey, we're going to get together because we want to confess our sin to one another. We heard about that last week. James ended with that. We're going to read and interact Scripture together. We're not studying it. We just want to talk about what is is God saying to us. We're going to pray for others who need Christ. But we're going to ask some, some difficult questions of each other. And there's some questions there that you can ask. And so if you're not already in a triad... Pray about who those two other people might be. You'll be amazed at how God knits you together. And if you're in a triad and maybe you've gotten away from something as intentional as this, consider coming back to it. So that's a triad. Those of you who are familiar with the church calendar know that this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which which marks the beginning of the Lent season. If you grew up in that tradition, you know more about Lent than I do. But I do know this, that's 40 days of preparation before Easter. It's 40 days, not counting the Sundays. But it's a season of spiritual renewal. It's a season where we examine ourselves. And many people, right, they give up something for Lent. Why? Because every time they give that up and they think about that thing, it'll be a, be a reminder of their walk with Jesus. And so I want to just encourage you, take this season It's not too late to say, you know what? There's still 37 days left. I'm going to jump in and spend some time giving up something that's going to remind me continually 
about my walk with Jesus. So friends, it's true. We are the church. We are brothers and sisters who are called to walk out our faith together. And therefore, we have the responsibility to watch out for one another and then to warn each other if we see the warning signs of wandering. And as the church, we ensure that those who walk with Jesus continue to walk with Jesus, ourselves included. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who first and foremost foremost seeks and saves the lost. You hound us at times. You draw us back. And so first you draw us into relationship with you, and then when we find ourselves, as we so often do, we find ourselves wandering, that we're not walking in step with your Spirit. And so, Lord, this morning we come and we just say, we want to walk humbly with you. We want to walk in a way that that acknowledges you as Lord of our lives. We surrender our hearts and our wills to you. Lord, we acknowledge too that our hearts are prone to wander. We have the capacity to drift, and before long we know that we're just out there wandering. So Lord, for those that might even describe themselves this morning, that have identified themselves as a wanderer. Lord, would you help them to hear your voice? That they would know your love and know that you are ready to race out and to meet them on that road when they've turned back to you and they want to say, Father, I have sinned. Not even worthy to be called your son, your daughter. And you come with that huge blanket of forgiveness and you wrap us and hide our shame. And you throw a party. Lord, may we just understand how much you love us, how much you desire to walk with us. Lord, just help us to hear your voice. And then as James would say so many times, and then do what it says. So Lord, may we hear you loud and clear and do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.